Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved. I want you to go in your Bibles with me. We're going to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9, this will be our text this morning. This has been another very eventful week. Queen Elizabeth, her death this week, and if you've been following any of the coverage, I heard the account of her hearing Billy Graham come and speak and reaching out saying, will that man, get that man and have him come talk with me. I want to hear more about what he's saying about this gospel. We're reminded of how brief life is, aren't we? Seventy years she was queen. And if you've been listening to the coverage, they've already been speaking of her son, now King Charles III, and wondering how long will Prince William have to wait until he's coronated king. They've barely finished with the coronation of King Charles, and yet the reality is, is King Charles has been waiting for 70 years. How long will his son wait? And the reality is, loved ones, and here we are, September 11th, 21 years ago. There are people all around our lives. They live next to us. We work with them. They are in our family. And the question is, are they ready for eternity? Are we thinking in these terms? And as we come to courageous evangelism, we need not think of the angry person out proclaiming and just yelling at people, but courageous evangelism, boldly sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are the ones who speak the truth in love. When was the last time that you were able to share the good news of the grace that has been given for all men with someone? Church, is our heart breaking for those who don't know Christ? Or are we in a bubble? And we think, well, that's their faith, and this is my faith, and this is what I do, and this is what they do. And then you get the phone call, and that opportunity is forever gone. In preparing for this message, I, I cannot help but remember a young man in our youth ministry whose friend was tragically killed in a car accident. And as he met with me in the basement of that parsonage, he wept and he realized I missed an opportunity. And we prayed together and he said, by the grace of God, I won't miss more, any opportunities again. And he's still holding to that. He's still held to that. 
courageous evangelism. This is simply a supernatural outworking. This is what we have tasted of that we can't help but share with others. It's not an obligation that we're under. It's a joy and a privilege that we can proclaim to all people you can be reconciled. The life of David, it provides another helpful example for us. We see in David's life a beautiful illustration for us to consider and to think about. How do we share the love of God with other people, our loved ones, our co-workers? Sometimes it's acquaintances and God places them in our lives for just a moment. And a gospel seed can be planted that brings fruit and we may never even know of it until we get to heaven. David here in our text, he is seeking after someone. He finds someone. He adopts someone. He provides for us a glimpse of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. David displayed this love imperfectly. Jesus, the son of David, displayed this love perfectly. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and, king, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there, is there not still someone of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel at Lodibar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel at Lodibar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house, I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table 
Now he was lame in both his feet. This is the word of a gracious God. This morning, we're going to unpack this passage together. The kindness of God will propel courageous evangelism. It's the kindness of God. And it will propel, it will move us forward. It's something that we just cannot contain. It is not something that you need someone to to work you up in. It is something that the Spirit of God dwelling in you, it leads to, and you just can't help. You just can't keep your mouth shut. You can't keep your light under the bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Perfectly? No. But it's a desire. It's a passion. Paul says in Romans 2.4, this descendant of King Saul and his family, line of Benjamin, he said, "Or, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that The kindness, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Do you know what leads us to repentance? It's his kindness, Paul says. It's his kindness. Paul, the apostle, knew on that day, on the road to Damascus, Jesus had every right to strike him down and kill him and leave him there dead. And he just blinded him. And then he opened his eyes to who Jesus is. And Saul's life was never the same. Remember how Jesus interacted with the woman at the well? He spoke the truth, but he spoke it in love. He spoke it in kindness. It's the kindness of God. And Jesus sat down and put himself in in a position of, can I receive from you? I need something from you. He didn't really but he was humble with her. He was kind with her. It is the goodness, the grace, the mercy and kindness of the Lord that overwhelms and changes us from the inside out. How then can we contain this glorious message? Loved ones, the kindness of God will open doors for us in sharing the gospel that simply having intellectual studies and book studies and book knowledge and theology all locked up and you know and you just argue and fight They'll never open doors that simply being kind, the kindness of God will open those doors. And then we walk through and we share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we learn from David? First of all, there's an invitation here to all of us. And first of all, explore ways to show real kindness to others. Let's get creative about this. Let's explore ways. Let's think about ways to show real kindness, not just a perception of kindness, not just what everybody else, you know, in humanity, the good people of the world do. Let's think about how can I show real kindness to someone else? How can I help someone else come to know, love, and follow Jesus? The word that keeps reappearing in our text today is probably one of my favorite Hebrew words. And I'm not a master of the Hebrew language, but I have not forgotten this word. The word probably should be said with, uh, you know, in it, chesed. So in the New Testament, it's often translated grace. But this word, chesed, 
It's steadfast love. It's kindness, faithfulness, loyalty. The core idea of this term relates to the loyalty, and check this, within a relationship. In relation to the concept of love, here's where it gets its its crystal clear and beautiful usage when it comes down to David's interaction with Mephibosheth. It's God's faithfulness to his people. It's unmerited. It's not him responding to us. It's him taking the initiative to show us what we don't deserve, kindness. To say, I'm going to bring you into a relationship and you are, you've all committed treason. You've all rebelled against me. You all have a father, Adam, and you all deserve to die. But I will take this step that is unthinkable and I will chase you down, and I will find you, and I will forgive you, and I will wash your sins away, and I will adopt you and bring you into my family and seat you at my table, and it's all because of my son, Jesus. And the church said, amen, right? This is grace. So we see David here, and David wanted to show, as, the, as this passage unfolds, he wanted to show kindness, but he wanted to show kindness to an enemy. Have you heard the discussion this week as they talk about how the line of succession works and how it worked for Queen Elizabeth to become king and her uncle didn't want to be king. So it, and they are very careful who is in the bloodline, who is a rightful heir to the throne. And if you want to unpack this passage and you get into who David is asking about, he's specific. I want somebody in my enemy's family. I want to show them kindness. So he had a desire. He's thinking about it. It's said of King Herod when Jesus was born in that day. It was better to be Herod's pig than his own son because Herod was so afraid of someone, even one of his own bloodline, a rightful heir, taking over and having him assassinated and taking his throne. So you're better off to be Herod's pig. You have more of a chance to live than being Herod's son. Paranoia filled him. So it leaves us asking this question. Where does this kind of love and mercy come from? Haven't we recently studied how David responded when the Lord called him and chose him and Michael didn't like it and he said, you're... Your father was put out by God and he chose me. I didn't choose this. I was out watching sheep. I was out, you know, taking care of bears and lions, watching my father's sheep. The Lord called me. And how did David respond when he was said, no, you can't build my house. And last week we looked, he went and sat before the presence of the Lord. And what did he say? Who am I? Who am I that you would look down on me and show me this favor and this mercy. I'm undeserving. I don't deserve this. Loved ones, do we have the desire to be a blessing to others? 
Is that a driving passion in us? How can I leverage the resources that I have, time, talent, treasure, to be a blessing to other people for eternity? Do we think in these terms? This is what David is thinking about. Now, I'll tell you this. There's a lot of times when I think about doing something, I think about exercising, I think about doing something, but it doesn't always make it to the done category, right? You know, I need to, whatever. And the next day, you know, I still need to fill in the blank. David wanted to, but look where, how this progresses. He looked for a person to bless. So it moved from a desire into, no, I'm serious. Get, get somebody who knows the house of Saul and bring him to me. I'm going to find somebody to bless. You sure about that, Dave? That's your rival family over there. We heard what you said to Michael. You're going to go find somebody and bring them in and show them kindness? Well, you're the king. Why would he do this? Why would he be so intentional? Because he was honoring his commitment and his covenant with Jonathan. He remembered that friendship, that covenant that he had with his friend. Jonathan recognized, David, God's hand is on you. Jonathan, a man of God, submitted to the will of God and wasn't bitter? How, how, how does that work for us when someone else is promoted to the spot that you know you deserve that? Jonathan blesses him. And David is thinking back on Jonathan and saying, you know what, I have some unfinished business. Is this a reoccurring theme we've been seeing in David? I'm dwelling in a palace. The presence of the Lord, the ark is over there in a tent. Oh, this is unfinished business. My friend Jonathan, I really miss him. Do you have friends like this? Friends like this develop in the Christian community, in small group, where we need friends like this. And David is probably in a point where he's thinking about his friend and he misses his friend. I wish Jonathan was here. Hey, wait a second. I wonder if there's anybody in Saul's house that I can be a blessing to. I'm going to put feet and hands and feet to these desires that I have. Compassion is not compassion unless it results in action. To just have empathy over a situation but not do anything about it, that's not compassion. When Jesus looked over and had compassion on people, he met their need. And he often did it in a way where he taught his disciples, you can't meet the need on your own. But if you come to me, I can through you meet this need. Can you sit them down in companies? Bring me what you have and come back to me for more. And he fed the 5,000. And he fed the 4,000. And he healed. And he raised the dead to life. David looked for this person. When David was on the run from Saul... Psalm 142, verse 4, he wrote this. Think of how he must have felt in this moment. And he said, look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. You hear the sadness there? 
You hear the confusion there. You hear the depression there. No refuge remains to me. Can you pray like this to God? I'm not foolish enough to think that there's no one saying something like this, maybe watching online or here today. Does anybody care about me? And listen to what David says, no one cares for my soul. No one cares for my soul. Can I ask you the question, who is in your influence? Who is in your family? Who is in your friend group? Who is it that you work with? Who is it that you know that may be asking that very question today? Is there anybody that cares about my soul? Do I know anybody that really cares about my soul? Well, we say it all the time, you are loved, but we don't stay here in the salt shaker. We're to go out. We're to go out into the world. And so God in his wisdom has placed you in their lives. So rightfully, truthfully, they should be able to say, yes, I know him, I know her. And if I know anybody that cares for my soul, it's that person. Why? Because there should be the kindness of God just coming through us at all points and perfect we are not, right? But forgiven, we are. Is there anybody, can you think of anybody, who's your one person that if they're right now, you think of them, you see them, you interact with them, are they, and you won't know this, but God does, are they saying last night, today, tonight, God, if you're there, is there anybody that cares about me? I don't think there is. Oh, may we say loudly and clearly, I do. I care about your soul. I care about your soul. That's the eternal part of you. Loved ones, you have all around you are people who have souls. They're going to live forever. And how easy it, it is for us who have been forgiven to get blinders on and to live in a myopic way, fixated on, here's my schedule, here's what I have to do, there's where I have to go, here, there, get this done. And we are missing the people all around us that are saying David's prayer, God, is there anybody that cares for my soul? And the Lord absolutely does, and he's placed you and me in their lives. So the question is not, does God care? The question is, what? Do I care? Oh yeah, I say I care. But if that doesn't manifest to gospel proclamation and the kindness of God, I'm lying. I am absolutely lying. And I am hiding the greatest gift ever known to man. It's Jesus. Paul writes, Galatians 6.10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Here's the reality. If I can be kind to my family, the ones who have my last name, if I can be kind to them all the time, there's a probably pretty good chance I can be kind to other people. If I can be kind and live in kindness and faithfulness and covenant relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, and we get to know each other for 5, 10, 15 years, however long the Lord allows, and we can continue to show grace and mercy and kindness and give and take, and we go through the ups and we go through the downs and the good times and the bad times, and we go through all of life, if we can live in the kindness of God, it cannot but help 
to reach out to those who do not know this kindness yet for themselves. So let's explore ways. We're gonna do this in our small groups. Let's think about how can we show the kindness of God. Secondly, experience God's kindness revealed to me. This is what David did. He didn't just hear about it. That's what Saul said to Samuel, pray to your God. I've heard about your God. David experienced the kindness of God revealed to him and loved ones. This kindness has been revealed to you and to me as well. The psalmist writes in Psalm 34, verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is what? He's good. He's good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Can I ask you that very direct question? Have you taken refuge in him? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Or are you here still looking in on other people who have tasted and seen, but you haven't tasted of his kindness? You haven't admitted your sinfulness to him yet. You're still trying to work on it, improve, get more Bible knowledge, gain steps, but you haven't come to the place you say, I have nothing except sin and shame, and, I, and, and you can have me. Here I am. Will you take me as I am? What's that old hymn? Just as I am without one plea. Yet that thy blood was shed for me. I come. I come. It's that simple, and yet it's that profound. David experienced. He experienced the kindness of God. David knew the kindness of the Lord. He knew the kindness. The Lord chose David out of nowhere and called him to be king, made him king. We saw this last week in 2 Samuel 7. There's no less than 10 promises the Lord gets, gives to David. When David said, I'll build you a house, and the Lord said, no, you're not. But let me give you a house. And he gives all of those promises. I would suggest to you, and there's some who disagree with me on this passage of why David did what he did in bringing Mephibosheth. Some would say he brought him in so he could have his enemy, you know, what, what's the saying? Keep, uh, keep your, you know, friends close, your enemies closer, you know, so you can watch them. I don't see that here, and later it's going to get tested. I would suggest that David has his fear completely eradicated by God. He knows God has said it, God will do it, the end. So I'm liberated to show kindness to my enemy. I can bring him in. I didn't get this position. I didn't run for office. I didn't get elected. There's no, con you know, there's no ballots to be counted. The Lord called me and made me king. My confidence is in him. It's secure. It's settled. Perfect love casts out fear. God can't lie. Titus 1, 2, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. The Lord does not look at how we do and then make a promise. He promises, and then it all goes forward, and we have the opportunity to respond to him and walk in the light as he is in the light, Hebrews 6, 18, so that by two unchangeable things in which is it, it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Look at how this is connected together. We have been called, we have been settled in the unchanging 
unlying God, if that's a word, therefore we hold fast and he's holding fast to us. This is confidence. And the Apostle John, as an old man, writes, 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So we are not sharing the gospel and have a fear message. We have a kindness message. But there is a reality of a coming judgment. John 3.16 tells us of that. But perfect love casts us fear. We don't live under this fear, terror anymore because we've been brought in. So David knew it, but David wanted someone else to know the kindness of the Lord. Think about this. He knew the kindness of the Lord, and it doesn't just stay there. He wants somebody else to know the kindness. He wants somebody else to experience the kindness of the Lord. He couldn't keep this blessing, this goodness, all to himself. So he was compelled to share the goodness and the glory of God. So he went looking for someone in Saul's house, an enemy. What is going to happen when, when this person, he says, I'm going to find somebody. God has shown me kindness. I know he is kind, and I'm going to find someone, and I'm going to give them the kindness of God. I'm going to show this to them. Think about the testimony that would ring out through David's kingdom. If this is how this king treats his enemies, how will he treat his friends? If this is how he treats a son, a grandson of his rival, how do you think he'll treat his family? And sadly, David sometimes was better maybe to Mephibosheth than he was to his own family. He was more faithful in carrying out a ministry of kindness to somebody who wasn't even in his family. And if you read the life of David, he missed it on a few occasions, dealing with his own children. We need someone better than David. He's not the final hope. He couldn't keep God's kindness to himself. So thirdly, he's experienced it himself. He's going to share that with somebody else. Let's express the kindness that is gospel-centered and radical to the least deserving. Express kindness, and specifically here, we're narrowing this kindness down. This isn't just random acts of kindness to feel better about yourself that you did some charity work. I did some good works today. That's good. What'd you do? Well, I did this, and I did that, and I saw this, and I took care of that. I feel better. I feel really good for helping somebody. Now, this kindness is gospel-centered. This kindness is radical because it's given to the least deserving, and hello, that's all of us. And suddenly we forget that when someone difficult is in our lives. Family member, neighbor, co-worker. We've been graced to show grace. So in verse 3, Ziba comes in, and he finds, and David finds, there is someone in need. In fact, there is somebody in need, David. You have somebody in Saul's family. And Ziba told David about this boy, this son of Jonathan, this grandson of Saul. His name is Mephibosheth, 
and he's in need. He is unworthy. He's unable to save himself. He, you can help him, Dave. He's in need. There is someone in need. You can write that in. Because around you, who is that person in need? Am I the only one? Or is it easy for us to think about our needs, our wants, our desires, our goals, and not catch it for other people? Yeah, Dave, there's a son of Jonathan. This guy has no future in his current family. His, in case you haven't heard, Saul's family's done. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. He's defeated. He's crippled in his feet. He has no ability to do anything about his situation. He's not only defeated, he's disabled. He's in need. It'll come up on the screen. He's in a great need. He's defeated. He's disabled. He's out there in this place called Lodabar. You know what that means? Nothing. He's in nowhere. He's at the bottom. He's hiding. He's probably living in fear. How, were, how did he get his crippled feet? The account is in 2 Samuel 4. It's significant because it's the day he lost his rightful access to the throne when he was carried out, when King Saul was killed, he committed suicide in battle, and then his sons were killed, and the news came back, and suddenly they realized the king is dead and now a rival king would customarily come in and kill everybody in the, in the rival king's household, and David is going to be the next king. And so Mephibosheth, in a hurry, he's about five years old, and they were fleeing. They were on the run, and he was dropped as a five-year-old, and if something happened to his feet, and the rest of his life is always connected to the day you lost everything. You were in the trajectory to be king. And on that day, it was all gone. And now he can't even walk. He's in need. And David is saying, good candidate. Go get him. David made a way. There's a king who made a way. Go get him out of nowhere, nothing land and bring him to me. He called for him to come. In verse 5, David found him. We just sang this, didn't we? He found him. And everyone around is probably saying, why does David really want to find this son, this descendant of Saul? He found him. David called him by his name in verse 6. Mephibosheth comes in and he positions himself as David's servant. And in verse 7, David dispelled his fear. He says one of the most beautiful statements in Scripture when angels would come interact with someone, do not fear. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The king says to his enemy's grandson, don't be afraid. I'm not going to hurt you. That's not why I called you. Do the people we work with know that there is a God who, while they are alive, will say, don't be afraid. My son was punished in your place, and I've made a way for you. 
but you must confess your sin and trust in him while there is time, loved ones. After this life ends, there is no time to make right with this God. He has made his way. He's made a way for sinners. He dispelled all of his fear. David showed him kindness. Why are you doing this? Why did you call me? Why are you showing me kindness? Because I knew your father. I remember your father. Mephibosheth, your father was my best friend. And here, Mephibosheth would be hearing this and he would know and he would remember something as a five-year-old boy and what people would say, the king was friends with your father. What does this mean for you? I don't know. How long has he been out here hiding in fear and in shame and going nowhere? Maybe that's you and you've been hiding and covering your sin and pretending it's not that bad or looking at other people or trying to be religious. I'll try to read my Bible more. I'll try to do some more. And you're hiding and I have a message from the word of God, from the living God. Stop, you can't. Mephibosheth couldn't come and get his way into the family. It had to be given to him. He didn't deserve it. He couldn't earn it. And everybody would have been saying, David, this is reckless. This is foolish. We heard what you said to Michael, and now you're bringing in a grandson of your rival family? This is nuts, David. But you're the king, so probably no one said that. They just thought it. David restored to him the land of Saul. Think about this. Even better than just receiving Jonathan's portion, he says, I'm going to show you grace, boy. I'm going to restore to you all of your grandfathers. It's all yours. Rightfully, I'm the conquering king. It's all mine. I don't need it. And I remember your father and I'm going to show you the kindness that your father showed me. Where does this kindness come from? It's the kindness, David says it, of God. This isn't great job, David. David's our hero. David's a wonderful king. No, David face planted a few times in his life. David has, he had and has an amazing God. This is what leads to courageous evangelism. This is what leads to people all around saying, what is happening in there? Is he dead yet? Oh, no, he's not dead. Really? We heard something about Mephibosheth saying, I'm your servant. Oh, so he's going to make him an indentured servant? No. He said, no, come on in. And David adopted him into his family. He gave him all his grandfather's land. Really? Yeah, he adopted it into his head. He said, you're going to be at my table, boy, always like my son. I'm going to take care of you. David is a foreshadow of what God did in Jesus for us. Paul writes about it in Romans 5, verse 6. Just listen to this. For while we were still Mephibosheth, disabled, defeated, all the way down in nowhere land. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. 
You see that every now and then we hear of that. But, but God, but God shows his love for us. And that while we were Mephibosheth, while we were out there still against him, still enemies of him, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? And verse eight, uh, Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, Paul says, how will he not also with him with Jesus graciously give us all things. If you have Christ, you have everything. You've been given everything and you'll never lose it. And it is available. There's a limitless supply. And we have the great opportunity to tell people your sin debt can be wiped out, canceled. You can be set free. And there's one person that did it. And it's the man the God-man, God in flesh, it's Jesus of Nazareth, born of a virgin. Mary lived the life, a sinless life you could never live. He lived that life. He died the death that I deserved. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me and for you. And he was buried and he rose again and he ascended and is coming again. And every knee will bow before him. Oh, praise his name. Praise his name. The king made a way, and there will be a response then of surrender. Look at how Mephibosheth responds to this. It's mentioned two times in this passage that he bows down. He pays homage to the king. It's a word that is, it's worship, it's reverence. He's not seeing the king as God, but he is rightfully showing honor and respect to the leader, the king of the land. He's acknowledging it's God who placed David in there, and I'm not coming up into this throne. He confessed his unworthiness, and he surrendered. What is your servant? It's almost the exact same thing that David said before the Lord. Who am I? Who am I? He proclaimed the greatness of the king. He said, who am I that you should turn to me, that you should look on me? I'm like a dead dog. What made you think to find me? Loved ones, do you think in those terms, if you are here in Christ this morning, why? Why would he save me? Why would he want me? The only thing good about me is Jesus, loved ones. Why? Why would he want me? I can't even give you the answer to that. But I can give you the affirmative. He chose me. He wanted me. He loved me. And he wants to use me to bring this same radical kindness to everyone I meet. So I have to ask myself the question again. Why do I get in situations that I know people do not know Christ and I shut my mouth and my lips are zipped sealed about the goodness of God and I simply talk about the weather, the economy, 
or simple temporal passing nothings. And it's wasted opportunities with people who have souls who may very well have that morning or the night before said, God, is there anybody that cares about my soul? I mean, really cares about me because it's messy in here. And if people really knew what I have going on in here, I don't think they'd want me. To get in a small group and get to know people, I don't think I, I, I want to do that. Because maybe the fear hasn't been cast out by knowing God. Or maybe it's just a weak faith that is in need of growth and reassurance that there are other people just like you. And God has placed us in a family to walk together in grace. Not, hey, tell the king, I'll come as soon as I can get my feet straightened out. Then I'll be there. He doesn't want to see me like this. I mean, it's embarrassing. I don't want anybody to see me this way. I'm, I'm a mess. David said, come on. Come on, I'll take care of you. David expressed this kindness. Lastly, we're invited. I'm encouraging us. Let's expect this kindness to bring God glorifying results. There's an expectation here that God will be glorified. Expect this kindness to bring God glorifying results. Where do we hear about this? Well, it's the son of David. In the Sermon on the Mount, you remember when we went through that, Matthew 5, 16? In the context of persecution and suffering, in the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they, here's the purpose, that they may see your, the kindness of God, God's mercy flowing through you and through me, and what will be the end result of that? Not pats on our backs not a plaque for giving. Glorify. They will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So loved ones, listen, Jesus is saying, if you belong to me, why would you ever want to blend in with the darkness? Why would you ever want to go back and be like everybody else that doesn't know me? Why would that be attractive to anybody? You're mine. Why would Mephibosheth ever want to go back to nothing? When he'd been called by the king, brought in, all fear dispelled, and you're going to be at my table, and I'm going to put Saul's servant to work for you. His goodness was a blessing to Mephibosheth. His blessing, his goodness was a blessing to Ziba and all his house. Loved ones, when we can expect this, many will hear. Many will hear of God's mercy and grace. They're going to hear about it. Hey, did you hear about what happened? Did you hear about what happened? I can't believe it. They heard about it. They heard about it. Mercy and grace. Mephibosheth, he didn't run from David. He went to David. And Jesus, David's descendant, offered an invitation. I love this in Matthew 11, verse 28. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find what you need most. Does anyone care for my soul? Yeah, Jesus does, perfectly. And that's where you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because he bore it already for us. He carries, he does the heavy lifting, not us. When we open our mouth to tell of his goodness, he's the one. We're just the farmer casting seed. Why are we so afraid? Why do I get so intimidated? Why do I get so distracted? Many will hear, but loved ones, it moves beyond this. Many will believe. They will believe for themselves in God's ability to redeem and restore. It, it moves past, I've, I've heard about this. I heard the psalmist say, taste and see that the Lord is good. But you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna taste and see for myself. Mephibosheth placed his trust in the word of David and he experienced the loyal, steadfast covenant faithfulness for himself. This relationship would one day be tested because later on, Absalom, David's son, would steal the kingdom from his father. And, and King David would gather and run out of his palace and run out of the city in a, in a, in, in a much of a hurry. And, and Mephibosheth was in that moment before he experienced, he lived through one of those when he was five. And this was put to the test. And Ziba, okay? remember old Ziba? And David put him in charge of all of his father's house. And now I, I believe Ziba started thinking, I'm really something, I'm really somebody. He was just given his master's household to care for. He was a steward that began treating him like owner. This is in the Lord of the Rings, where the steward starts functioning like owner but he's not the king. And so when he gets in the wrong role, everything goes sideways. 2 Samuel 16, here's the account. David is on his way out of the city. David passed a little beyond the summit. Here comes Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth. He met him with a couple of donkey saddle, bearing 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins. There we are, back to the raisins again. Love the raisins. 100 summer fruits and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, why have you brought these? Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on and the bread and summer fruit are for the young men to eat and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, listen to this question now. This is what the king is looking for. When he sees Ziba, he's expecting to see somebody. Who's he expecting to see, church? Mephibosheth. Yeah, easy for you to say, right? Mephibosheth. Where's he at? Ziba, you're here, but where is Mephibosheth? And the king said, where's your master's son? Ziba said to the king, oh, behold, he remains in Jerusalem, for he said, today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Then the king said to Ziba, behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord, the king. This is, this is a, a, out of the blue. What happened here? What's going on here? This leaves us reading saying something's wrong here. David's on the run, Absalom is finally killed, and now David comes back, and there's an interaction that happens in 2 Samuel 19. When David comes back to the throne, there's some unfinished business with Ziba and Mephibosheth. Was it wrong for David to show him kindness? Did he make a mistake? Because all of this time, David has been out there on the run again, now it's from his own son Absalom, and he's wondering what happened to Mephibosheth. 
Was that foolish of me to show him kindness? Oh, look at this. 2 Samuel 19, 24. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. Can you just get a mental picture of what Mephibosheth looks like now? A mess. He smells, he looks bad, he's not taking care of his feet. He's, he's physically displaying what he's felt inside. Verse 25, and when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, here's the question that David's been just going in his mind this whole time. Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? You hear him? Where were you? All I did for you, you ever done this? You ever help somebody and they just turn and just walk off and be, you know, just unfriend you and walk away and you're like, what was that? Look at what David, listen to the answer, verse 26, he answered, my Lord, O king, my servant deceived me. He's talking about Ziba. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king. For your servant is lame. He has slandered your servant to my Lord the king. But my Lord the king is like the angel of God. Listen to this now. Do therefore what seems good to you. My life is in your hands. I trust you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my Lord the king. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? And the king said to him, why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. Okay, so right now David doesn't know who's telling him the truth. Was it Ziba or was it Mephibosheth? Who lied to me? Was that bribery that Ziba did when he, when he, when he brought me the, the raisins and the donkeys and the wine? Was he lying to me or is Mephibosheth lying to me? And listen to Mephibosheth's answer, how he responds to, you're going to get half of your grandfathers because I don't know which one of you I can trust. Verse 30, and Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all. If I have you, I have everything. I'm just glad to be with you again. Do you remember when Solomon, the son of David, was brought that challenge of the women whose babies, one baby died in the night. And Solomon said, hmm, I remember something like this. Let me have the baby, the land that belonged to Saul. Let's divide it in half. Give half to one and half to the other. And the real mom said, no, 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 don't do that, king. Give her the baby. And the lying woman said, that sounds good to me. Divide it up. And Solomon said, give it to the one who was willing to give that baby away. I don't know how this turned out. There's, there's suspense in this, in this drama of real human relationships. 
just want to be with you. I don't, I don't care about the land. I don't care about the proceeds from the land. I'm glad you're back. The king has come safely home. I just want to be back at your table, David. It's enough for me. Oh, loved ones, Jesus is the only way for our broken fellowship to be restored. He came and he made a way. Listen to what Jesus said, John 14. He said this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. I'll make a way. It's through me. There's one way. There's only one way, and it's Jesus. And many will hear of this, this kindness of God, and many will believe in the kindness. And loved ones, many will receive God's never-ending presence and provision. This is what we have in the gospel. This is what leads us to courageous evangelism. And not just going to hear about it, they're going to believe and receive from God his never-ending presence and provision. We get him. We get his spirit living in us, never to leave us. I can't comprehend this. I can't just put this all out for us to understand, but I can proclaim it, and I can know that it is true, and you can understand that it is true. Jesus rose from the dead, and God cannot lie. Mephibosheth's life was characterized by the goodness of God through the kindness shown to him by, by David. He ate at David's table. He was like one of the king's son. He had a son, the Bible tells us, his name was Micah, and he was able to live and not die in the presence of the king. He lived out his life at the king's table, but listen, the whole life that he lived, King David couldn't solve his problem and his disability. They wheeled him in and they wheeled him out and they wheeled him in and they wheeled him out and they wheeled him in and they wheeled him out his entire life. But then comes the son of David. Now think about this, the son of David. And Jesus, in Luke 18, he's coming near to Jericho and there's a blind man sitting by the roadside and he's begging in Luke 18, 36. And hearing the crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. What's going on? They told him Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, listen to his cry. The blind guy is the only one that can see what's going on here this day. Jesus! Son of David, it's Mephibosheth over here. Have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be quiet, be silent. But he cried out all the more. Turn me up, right? Son of David. I remember what David did. I remember the kindness of God. Have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him, get him, bring him to me. And when he came there, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it. Where does it all go? They gave praise to God. This is the kindness of God. Jesus, 
son of David. I've heard about your ancestor. And Jesus is better than David. He didn't leave that man crippled and he didn't leave him unbelieving. He changed his life. There's a book, it's um, The Unexpected Journey by Tom Rainier. Some of you have read this. And I remember there's one significant account. It's about 12 or 13 different testimonies of how people came to faith in Christ. And they all tell their stories. And one had been a lifelong Jehovah's Witness. And this Jehovah's Witness, their child went through an illness and needed a blood transfusion and they went through horrific issues with the Jehovah's Witness group. And they had a neighbor that was a Christian that they had argued with many times. And the neighbor, hearing what they were going through, brought them chicken, brought them a meal. And their testimony is we had an answer for all their arguments, but we didn't have an answer for chicken. And so they went out of town and they went to a mall when they used to have malls and they found a bookstore and they asked the person working at the bookstore, do you have anything that tells us about Jesus? Do you have anything? Do you have a Bible? Do you have something? And the person pointed them to the section and they read for themselves the gospel. Why? Because somebody showed them kindness instead of saying, I'm not going to them. They've been, they've been argumentative with me. They don't believe what I believe. They're different. They said, no, I'm gonna show you the kindness of God. And they took the chicken. We didn't have an answer for chicken. Loved ones, look at this. Together, can we explore ways to show real kindness to others? Have you experienced the kindness of God revealed to you? How are we gonna express this kindness that is gospel-centered Radical to the least deserving, that person that you just know way. The kindness of God. And when we do this individually and corporately, we can expect there will be results that will glorify God for all eternity. Let's trust him in this. What's your next step? What's my next step? To share the gospel courageously. Who's that one person that you're burdened for right now? Maybe today, maybe this week, that opportunity to show kindness and tell them plainly and clearly what has God done for you in Jesus. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the son of David that doesn't just show kindness, but absolutely forgives and cleanses and heals and redeems and adopts. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. I pray for the one or maybe more that are listening this morning and they've heard the gospel again, but they have never for themselves tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Let today be the day that they would not run from you anymore. They would not hide from you in shame, but they would come to you and find the cleansing that only you provide. Lord, as a church, help us to be this kind of people, showing the kindness of God everywhere we go to everyone we meet. Thank you that 
you are faithful. I'm not, I'm not always faithful. I want to be, but you are faithful and you are good. And we praise your name for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.